Hello, and welcome to our podcast here at Discovery Point Church. Thank you for joining us today. We pray this message inspires you and is the beginning of a life-changing relationship with Jesus. It's good to be here as we get into the Word of God tonight. Before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that you so loved us that you gave yourself for us. You redeemed us into yourself. So as we get into your word tonight, I just pray that you'd minister to all of us. Speak to us through your word. Holy Spirit, do your work amongst us. We commit this into your hands. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. From groaning to glory. Pastor Greg shook me up a little bit last week. Because I'd already had this done. And all of a sudden, he puts up a slide that says, from groaning to glory. And I thought, "Uh uh-oh. But he took it a whole day. It was different verses, so he took it a different way. So that's okay. We're going to turn to Romans 26 through 30. Romans 8, 26 through 30. And I backed up a couple verses because I'm actually, the text that I'm doing tonight was 28 through 30. But I wanted to talk about 26 and 27 real quickly, and then we'll get into uh, verse 28. So 26 says, and I'm speaking from the New King James Version. It says, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know when, what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. You know, and sometimes we don't know what to pray for, do we? It's hard to put it to words. Uh, Linda has a plaque that she has on the wall in our bedroom, and it says, even when we don't know how to pray, God understands our prayers. And there's great truth in that. Now, that idea is conveyed here, that, you know, that the Spirit helps in our weaknesses, we don't understand. We don't want to pray correctly. I said, I'm going to straighten them out, Lord. I'm going to pray on their behalf. Huh? That's a powerful thing. Verse 27. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercessions for the saints according to the will of God. And verse 28. And we know. We know that all things, and I don't know if I've said it here, you know, I I have, you know, this is something I've said over the years. There was an old country preacher in our church, and he, he, he was a great man, loved him dearly. But one of his sayings was all. It says all. All means all, and that's all all means. So I, have, I, I see that I had to, had to do that. So we know that all things work together for good. To those who love God, those who are the called according to his purpose. Now I want to talk about the word purpose. Prothesis is how they say it. In the Greek it would be prothesis. We, we split differently. We say pro Thesis. Everyone knows what a thesis is, right? Something that you write. That word is, we still use it. 
The word prothesis or prothesis, pro means before, thesis is a place that's the setting forth, the word suggests a deliberate plan, an advanced plan, an attention to design, attention to design and a plan that was carried out before. And that was his purpose, God's purpose. And when we tend to read these scriptures, we, we, we tend to make them be just about salvation. God put the plan in, and he did, and it does mean that. But it's so far much more than that. The plan that was laid out before the foundation of the world was the, the plan of creation, creating man. And all of these things was laid out before anything was ever created. It's hard to get our arms around that sometimes, isn't it? So I'm going to take it back to Genesis 1.26, where it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Remember, it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what the, the plural is, our image, our likeness. Let us make man in our image. And we tend to, when we read these verses, think more of God the Father. I want you to think of God the Son. All throughout the Old Testament, we see the pre-incarnate Christ coming and appearing and stepping into creation. We're going to get a glimpse of it in what we're reading here a little bit, then I'm going to go back to our text. But he's talking about making man in our image. Now, God's spirit, worship him in spirit and truth. Jesus is the only one the Son has ever stepped into humanity and lives in a glorified body to this very day. Whatever he was like before, he gave up, and he chose to give up. I have, I have taped in the front of my Bible, and I want to read this. It's from John Stott. He was a great theologian. And here's what he had to say on this subject. I liked it so much I wrote it down and taped it in my Bible. It says, the incarnation was a historical and unrepeatable event with permanent consequences. Reigning at God's right hand today is the man, Christ Jesus, still human as well as divine, though now his humanity has been glorified. Having assumed our human nature, he has never discarded it, and he never will. It's amazing, isn't it? Christ, the glorified Christ. We get to heaven, the Father's there, he's spirit, the great light, Holy Spirit, the same thing. But what you're going to see is Jesus sitting on the throne. He's at the right hand of God the Father, whatever that's going to be like. Because we know that we're made in that image We also know, Colossians 1, 15 and 16, it says that he, Christ, is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. 
for by him, notice this, by him all things, remember all, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers or things that were created through him and for him. That's a powerful statement, church, that all these things were created by him, all of creation. His hand was in it. Go to, I'm not going to quote, but go to John 1, verse 3, says the same thing. The same idea is conveyed. So when Adam was made in the image, I believe he was made in the image of what Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ, that glorified Christ was going to look like, and he was the human form that was taken on that day in creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions. You know, there isn't... Sometimes it's hard to wrap our arms around it, but there isn't a king, there isn't a power to be in this world that they're there because he's allowed it to be so. And when it talks about dominions or principalities or powers, sometimes that's talking about very dark things. Even the things that we say, why is he involved in all that stuff? Because all things, good and bad, is being used to make us as rise it more like Jesus. And so in Genesis he's created. I'm not going to tell that whole story. We I spend the whole time doing that and not doing the verses I'm supposed to. But Genesis 3 is amazing stuff. This is God speaking to him. Now, we got to remember that we were created in the image of the Son of God. We're image bearers. And that's how Satan got Eve to stumble her up. He began to tell her God didn't really mean you're going to die. You're not going to die. The reason why he doesn't want you to eat from that tree of the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil is because you'll be just like him. That's the great sin that befalls man, isn't it? We want to be God. And in that whole process, she looked at that tree and she began to ponder. Well, that tree that's, that's got fruit on it, that'd be good for food. That's a beautiful tree. And he says, if I eat of this, this will make me wise. I will be just like God. Now, Eve didn't sin until she began to contemplate that idea. Have you ever had just a very evil, very dark, very something that the, the enemies just shot at you? Why in the heck did I think that, huh? 
Now, we haven't sinned yet. That's the devil's work. That's what he does. But if we like, oh, yeah, let me ponder that idea. Now the hook's getting in. And that's what he did with Eve. Because he got her to see that I could be something different than what God said. And when, he, when she did that, the image that he made me in, I could even make it better. And when she embraced that idea, she partook and ate. Now I could tell a whole story on Adam. He's there watching all this. He didn't do a thing. And what we forget to understand that through this whole thing, God was right there. God's everywhere. He was there too. All they had to do to get that evil one away is, Lord, help me. He would have stepped in. But for a split second, Adam's looking at his wife. Well, she didn't drop dead. There's something a little different about her. And he had to make it a choice. And he made a conscious choice to disobey God. And he disobeyed God because he loved his wife more. And he partook. And in that process, it says, then to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife, have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it? Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat from it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. I keep it right here for a minute. You see, something, they changed. When they ate of that fruit... Their appetites changed. When they ate of that fruit, the place that God had put them in to, to, to live, in the Garden of Eden, and the beauty, and how he surrounded them and kept them, they have now disobeyed, and they have ventured beyond this thing. And so now they're going to be outside of, the, outside of this. And God didn't put them outside of it just to make them suffer. You read, we read that, and we kind of read that into that. That's not what he did it for. They sinned. They partook of this. They put them out. They put angels at the to guard it because there's also the tree of life in there. And had they eaten from the tree of life after eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they'd been in that state forever. And so God in his love and mercy took that all away. And, and, and you don't see that tree of life anymore until Revelations. You see that in 20, Revelations 22, that the leaves are for the healing of the nations of the tree of life. And so, verse 19, in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Now, not only did they eat of this thing, they're now facing the reality, oh, I'm going to die. See, it was only a concept prior to this. It was only a concept. They were very much alive. They would live forever. And now, 
I'm going to die. And you see, we don't talk about too often, but when they embrace that, when Eve took that on and said and embraced that and partook, she took on a different image. She took on the image that Satan threw at her, and she began to, to be that. But once their eyes were opened and they saw what they really were, they were sorry for the moment they did it. Because the great lie was, they're not going to be like God. I'm broken now. This, this, these two people that were made in the image of God are now broken. And far from what that enemy was offering. Next slide, please. And we see in verse 21, it's also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and he clothed them. Again, I believe it was the pre-incarnate Christ that came to them. He said, you guys sinned. You're going to die. But he taught them, and I believe this, and it, it's, 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 not, it's not spoken there, but it's conveyed. It's conveyed within the story. For the soul that sinneth it shall die. Without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin. See, there is something that died that day. The Lord took an animal and he killed the animal. And from that animal he took the skins, those bloody skins, and he placed it on Adam and Eve as a covering for their nakedness and their shame and all of those things. This wasn't him. This was an act of love and mercy. And he clothed them. And so... As we look at this, God in his plan, in his plan of redemption, Romans 4, 8, 29 says, for whom he foreknew. And it does have the idea of like him who foreknew that they looked down through the ages of time and all that he saw, but it's far more than that. There are some that take that idea to say, well, that's how we know who's going, that God looked down through the ages. He foreknew everyone that was going to accept him, and so those became the elect. I think that's, that's missing the mark big time. Amen. For whom he foreknew, he also loved. He knew them. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. You see, we're conformed to that image. Also, I got one that's not here, so just hold that right there. And I, I want to read one from 2 Timothy 1.9. Here's what it says. He who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. You see, this whole thing was all laid out. God was not caught off guard. They were all not wringing their hands of what Adam and Eve did. They, they knew it was going to be this way. The whole thing was laid out. It's hard to wrap your arms around that, isn't it? So, see, God's ultimate goal, next slide, please. God's ultimate goal for us is not necessarily our worldly interests, but our Christ-likeness. That's who we're going to be, like him. That's the end in view. 
not making everything fine and dandy in this life. See, we want this like this. We wring our hands and wonder, why. well, why am I having to go through this? What's this all about? All that we endure, all that we go through. God uses us, uses us, good and bad, that we might be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. See, we want the cross, but we don't want to bear one. We'll just have that. That's what Jesus did. I don't want to have to mess with that. See. Ephesians 1, 4 and 5 says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That's hard to put your arms around, isn't it? He chose you, Susie. He chose you, Charlie. He chose me. He chose all of us that know him. He chose us before, in himself before the foundation of the world, and we should be holy without blame before him and in, in his love. Powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. See, his purpose for us is not our earthly happiness, but our genuine holiness. We're being made in the image of Christ. John understood that. Remember John the Baptist that baptized Jesus? That he didn't want to. He said, I, he, Jesus needs to be baptizing me. He's the Holy One. But he made the statement that I need less of me and more of him. And that's what it's about, isn't it? This process is going on in our lives. It's an ongoing process that we're watching play out. Verse 5. <clears throat> Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. He predestined us. See, we had a destiny. But before this destiny was given to us, he has a destiny he did purposed beforehand predestined us. We're part of his family. We've been adopted into that family. And if being adopted, we're not like children. Oh, you're just the adopted children. Oh, no, we've got the full benefits of the heavenly family. Huh? Think about that one. According to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Hebrews 1.3 says this, who being the brightness of his glory, who? Christ. And the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. I, I capitalize the word word in that. It's not, it's, it's not supposed to be. But when I see that, I think of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us because he's the living Word. The Word of his power when he by himself purged our sins, and what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Hallelujah. He's ruling and reigning today. Huh? The right hand of God the Father. Powerful stuff. See, he assumes, he assures us that he can use every circumstance in our lives 
pleasant and unpleasant, to make us like Jesus. We don't always see it like that. We wring our hands sometimes and question why certain things have to happen and why they do happen. And there was times in my life I've done that, and it's, you know, I still like, okay, Lord, what's this about? But the older I get, the little more I'm beginning to say, Lord, if there's something in this I should be learning, then let this be the teachable moment. Because even through some of the most unpleasant things, God uses them. Genesis 50, 20. This is the story of Joseph. I'm going straight to the punchline, okay? We're not going to tell that story. And we all know the story, how the brothers were jealous of him, and um, Jacob made him the coat of many colors, and he, he was what had these dreams of things what God's going to do, and he made the big mistake of telling them. And they turned on him. I did the same thing with my wife. Yeah. Many years ago, I was 15 years old at the time, People think this is crazy. Some people say, you're just a little nuts, Pastor Ron. Maybe. I'm, I'm nuts for Jesus. And I, I lived across, the, there's, there's a neighbor from the school that lived across the street that met a couple girls that was come, they just moved out here, moved to Los Angeles from Kentucky. To go from the Appalachian Mountains of Kentucky to the streets of Los Angeles, that was culture shock. And so... They didn't know anybody, so she said, well, across the street's Ron. He's going to go to the same school. I'm going to take you across and introduce you to him. She's walking across that street, and I felt the Holy Spirit tell me that there's my wife. I should have kept my mouth shut, Charlie. I never knew her. And I said, I just met you. Hi, I'm Ron. I'm going to marry you one day. And her, in her little Kentucky accent, said, in her little Kentucky accent, she says, you weirdo, get away from me. And that was the beginning of our relationship. <laughs> We've been married this year 54 years. Yeah. Sometimes it's better to keep your mouth shut. Same thing with Joseph. You probably thought many of the times I should have just kept those stories to myself. I wouldn't have ended up in that pit. And all that he went through and went into prison. Pontifer's wife Accused him of rape. He didn't do any of it. I wonder how many of us would be wringing our hands saying, okay, God, what's going on here? What did I do? But through it all, this is coming to the end of the story, Jacob's past, and they're saying, uh-oh, he's going to get us now. Dad's not here to help. He is going to do us in now. And so they confront him. Here's how he answered them. But as for you, I'm talking about all the stuff that they did, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is to this day to save many people's lives. Wow. Is that a different way of seeing it? But you know, he's doing that same thing with you and I. 
exact, exact same things for you and I. Romans 8.30. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Something I taught the church and the kids very, very early on, many years ago, they would, they would be talking about these kind of big words like this. And I said, justified, that's a big word. For those of you that know Jesus, when Jesus put the blood that applies to your life, it's justified, never sinned. And so that's a good way to remember what the definition is of justified, even though we have, okay? And whom he justified... These he also glorified. And to mean that they're glorified, that means we're going to be just like Jesus. John said it this way. I don't know one thing what the, what the glorified body is totally about, but I do know this one thing. We shall be like him. That's good stuff. Now, we get all tangled up on all this stuff. There's preachers that say, oh, no, when we get to these parts of Romans, we should just skip over them. God didn't put them in there for us to skip over them. But people like to because they, they don't want to talk about this stuff. But I want you to notice something that's in this. The subject matter of whom he predestined is those that he called. And those that he called he justified. And we, even though we're not there yet, we're in the process of glorification. One day we're going to be glorified. God declares that this is already done. Even though we're still in process. But this doesn't have to be, well, what about, this ain't what about, this is the children of God whom he chose before the foundation of the world. This is God's people, his people, his children, and that's all the subject matter is talking about. No one else. His children. And we get twisted up in this stuff and shouldn't. Now, the good thing is what we went through, we've reached our destination. We've reached the goal of the whole process. We're there. This is what the Spirit's been praying for in verse 26. What? That we'd arrive, that we get there. Keep interceding on our behalf. This is the purpose for which God called us in verse 28. We're his called. Every one of us can tell stories how Jesus spoke to us and he called us and we responded to that call. I happened to be a 17-year-old. 17 17-year-old. 17 one thing that Linda did, his, her mama, when I started going over there, she said, oh, good, you can come over. You're going to church with us on Sunday. And if you don't go to church with us on Sunday, don't think you're coming over next weekend. Guess what I started doing? going to church. I said, I, I went to church for all the wrong reasons. I'd rather be sitting on the back pew with her. See? But God in his love and his mercy, he got a hold of me one Sunday and I let go of her hand. Her jaw probably hit the floor and I got up and next thing I know I was on my knees on the altar down at the beginning of that little church because I heard the call of God and I responded to his voice. And that day I got changed. Good change. So when we say we come to verse 30, we've arrived. Because that's where we're headed. Complete conformity to the image of the glorified Christ. That's good stuff.
So, 100% of those he foreknew and predestined and called and justified, he will glorify. Not one will be lost along the way. Not one. I know he just gets quiet. This should be shouting ground for us. Because we're in that number. Not one will be lost. Jesus said this in John 18, 9. That the saying might be fulfilled which he spoke of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. Some say, well, yeah, that's only talking about the disciples. That's just talking about the twelve. And, you know, and... Judas was, you know, who he was, so the other ones are saved, and that's who he's talking about. Well, that's a lot more than that. And he is talking about them, but he's doing a lot more than that. Also, John, it's not on the screen. I've got a couple more. See, I, could, I just couldn't help myself. I had to write some more down. John 6, Jesus says this, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Who can come to him unless the Father draws him? No one. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. That's all of us, church. None of us will be lost. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And there's one that I ran across. I thought, oh, I want to I use this one because it drives the point home that I'm going to close. Found in Acts 13:48. If you want to write one down, write this one down or mark it to go home and, and read it. It's interesting. The Jews were having a fit because the, this early church was now preaching this message of salvation to the Gentiles and offering the same thing to them. And they were having a fit about it. And in this verse, they're talking about the subject of what this means. And the Gentiles were hearing the gospel. They were yielding themselves to the Lord. And it says this, Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. Huh? This is a good one. This is what you want to think of. This who believed? As many as have been appointed to eternal life. That's what God's done for us. To point us to eternal life. We have a no-so salvation. That's powerful. It should not puff us up. It should drive us to our knees, church, of what he's done for us. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. We pray you allow this message to transform you to take what you learned and share the love of Jesus to those around you. You can stay informed and connected by following Discovery Point Church on all social media platforms. Thank you and God bless you.